Good morning. Am I on? How are you all? It's wonderful to worship the Lord together. I want to quickly just uh, mention something about the worship. You know, when we worship the Lord and when we sing and, you know, God begins to touch our hearts and move on our hearts and we think, sing things like, you know, I'll make room for you, Lord, and, and then, you know, how to get into the, just a the cycle of religion where we just go, we do, we do the things, we sing the songs, we leave, we go back to our day, is to think that everything that transpires here in the spirit realm, which we can't see, that it's instant, but it's not. So we sing and we worship, and then when we leave, you'll be in the car this week, or you'll be on your way home, or something will happen and you'll just, can I have this? Whatever it is. You surrendered. Can, can I have this? Because we just sang out and declared, Lord, it's yours anyway. And then he comes in a very gentle way, not a, not a dictator, and he goes, and this too? And you know, and you're like, mm, well, no. But every time the Lord does that, it's to take something that will be your destruction if he doesn't take it. Or it's something, Lord, I'll make room for you. And you suddenly, this week, and even today or tomorrow, you have this desire, this urge, and it may be foreign to you. And, and it, this happens, because it happens to me often. And you would have just got to the party, you would have just got to the barbecue, you would have just got to work, and you suddenly have this extreme desire to be with the Lord. You're just like, oh, I just wish I, I just... I want to encourage you to do everything you can in that moment. Do not ignore that. Go to the, I used to go to the bathroom constantly. I mean, I, you know, I would go to the bathroom and say, excuse me, I've got to go to the restroom. And I keep it just there. And I'd just go and just get on my knees and say, Lord, what's up? What do you need? I love you. I want to be with you. Whatever. And you know, it's because I'll make room. And then he comes and he, there's something that's on your heart. And it's when we worship and express our heart and devotion and love to the Lord and worship, I encourage you, don't leave here and it's gone. Pay attention to the next week. Pay attention to the next 24 hours. Pay attention. And that's how he works. Amen? That was free. So, I wonder if we can pray, and then we'll get into the book of Galatians. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that your word will never pass away. I thank you for the authority, intrinsic authority that it has. It has all authority. And I thank you, Lord, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I pray this morning that people receive revelation from your word. I wonder if we can ask the Lord for that. Don't just listen to my prayer. I wonder if you can just in your own heart, just take a moment. Say, Lord, speak to me. Reveal things to me. Let me see. Open my eyes. Open the eyes of my heart. Let me see. Let me receive revelation. Just do that for a moment if you can. Ah, we bless your name, Lord. We bless your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, good morning all. You guys are well? 
That was a question, said as a, asked as a statement, but it was a question. So um, we've just started in the book of Galatians. I didn't fully get to really launch last week. I just got to prove that I can preach in 15 minutes, um, which I will not do this week, just so you know. And um, so I'm going to recap or re-preach a little bit of last week as we go further than that. But we're going to be in the book of Galatians. And if I had to call this series anything, I would call it the truth of the gospel or the danger of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is one of the most incredible forces that comes against the church and it comes cushioned as discipline or it comes cushioned or uh, packaged as a good life or it comes packaged as doing the right thing. But if it's from the motive and from the heart of self-righteousness, it has incredible destructive power. And it's actually a form of witchcraft, as we all learn in the book of Galatians, that the enemy sends against this, these churches in Galatia. You see, Paul says, oh boy, we're already off the notes. Paul says, foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. That word is witchcraft. And you see what happens is Paul had gone through this region and Lystra, Iconium, Derby, and Antioch and these four different churches planted them in signs and wonders and power and then they started to, these Judaizers, these people who were from the law, the Jewish law, they believed in Jesus but they came in from the side as we said last week and they started to say it's Jesus plus. Yes, Jesus is good for salvation but you need to add circumcision, you need to keep the Sabbath holy, you need to do all the law things still, it's Jesus plus. And what happens is this, this two-pronged attack which comes against entire regions, entire cultures in the world happening all right through the church today. And it's this attack of, with the, that's actually a witchcraft. People say witchcraft, they think of like, you know, Disney. You know, poisonous apple and, no, or they think of curses and spells and, you know, Harry Potter. There's witchcraft that is very prevalent and very common, which is a form of witchcraft which has to do with the motivations of the heart. And I don't want to get into that now. But this is, a, in a sense, an attack that comes against these, this region called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, because God, in a sense, took that region through Paul's preaching and through the gospel, and it's like the enemy wants it back. So he brings in these people that sound good, because everything they're saying is do the right thing, do the holy thing, do the good things. And so he, in a sense, through that, it's this double-prong attack of carnality and legalism. Which is, carnality is what? Just doing whatever I want, living in the flesh, what people would call all these terrible sins, just... Just living in the flesh, doing what my body wants, doing what I want, selfishness, sex, drugs, whatever. It's just living in the flesh. And there's this carnality. But then legalism is this legalistic, law-driven ability or, or a way to live through this religious expression with no inward change. And so when those two come together, they strengthen each other. Why? Because in a religious competition, uh, Competitive religion, I'll say it that. We all know what I'm talking about. I'm a leader. Well, I'm the leader. Well, I'm the pastor. Well, I'm, it's the same in business. It's the same in the church. This re competitive religion, which is so destructive, which has a measure to which people have to live up to, and it's unsaid. Oh, but did you know what they did? Do you, uh, do you know what they did? Oh, you wouldn't believe it. You know, this competitive religion, and so what happens is they have to hide that issue. 
Now you can hear what I'm not saying today. You can think that I'm saying you must go sin, you must do that. I'm not saying that, which we'll get into. But I have to hide what I do because the legalism front. So the, th the thick mask of Christianity becomes thicker and thicker and I get better and better at it. Let me show this face and this picture. I just love Jesus. But behind the scenes, it's not that at all. But I, I can never tell anyone. So the Bible says the law, this legalistic law, will strengthen and empower sin. So I'm getting worse in the carnality, and my legalistic mask gets thicker. And there's no change. There's just a constant cycle of guilt. From guilt to I'm sorry, from guilt to I'm sorry, and that's the religious cycle. This is beginning to happen in this church. They started in signs, wonders, miracles, power, freedom, liberty. Now these Judaizers come in from the side. They're not an authority figure there. They don't actually know the truth. And they start, Jesus, but you've got to add this. And it's this two-pronged attack of carnality and legalism. And let me be bold and honest, it's running through the worldwide church rife today. <laughs> and that's how we get into this method of just churchianity. Go through the motions. There's no change. There's no power. Where's the power that gives glory to God? That changes hearts, that heals the sick, that raises up the lame. Hello? So, this is Galatians. Context is, many think it's his first epistle, about 49 AD, it's modern day Turkey. As I said, he went through those regions, as you'll see in Acts 13 and 14. These Judaizers come in, and again, I said this last week too, it's Jesus plus, and we have the same issue today. It's Jesus plus water baptism. I need to have water baptism, otherwise I'm not saved. It's Jesus plus a certain amount of works. It's Jesus plus whatever. And I used to say, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Equals nothing. Equals, really, equals nothing, because you remove the very power that saved you. So Galatians 3, can we go to Galatians 3? If you have a physical Bible today, I'm going to ask you to use it. Turn there. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to come up behind me this morning at about 8.30. My whole sermon was, there was a glitch on some software, and my whole sermon and all the notes and everything was deleted. So, but that's okay, because we have the Bible, and that's all we really need, right? So, Galatians 3 says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, I want to point out, these people are sitting there. This is the letter that comes. They're sitting there, and Paul's reading this. I mean, while well, these people are reading it. Think about that. Imagine that was today. They're sitting there, these Judaizers. They're sitting in the crowd. And he's saying these people are bringing witchcraft against you. That's what the Greek says. <laughs> We're so careful in the church today. This was such a big issue to Paul. And all I really want to get to today is to, just to show why he was so vehemently strong with don't allow this. Because it's what he came out of. It says here, O foolish Galatians who has bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth. As I said last week, the um, J.B. Phillips translation says, Oh, you dear idiots in Galatia. That's what it says. 
It says, Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect? That word means whole or complete or mature or going forward in God by the flesh, by the strength of your own arm, by look what I can do. Have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? So these people came in from the side. And if you go to Galatians 3, I think it's verse 3, it says here, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Well, go to Romans 10, if you can. Go to Romans 10. It says this in Romans 10, verse 1 to 4. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel. Now Paul's speaking about Israel or Israelites because they were struggling to leave the law and believe in Jesus. So this is what he says. That they may be saved. In other words, through the new covenant, through the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Because this is where Paul's comes from. Paul was their chief lawyer, so to speak. He was their chief witness. He was the one who destroyed the church. He knew the Bible better than all of them. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was next in line, most likely, for high priest. He was their voice. He was their power. And then God got hold of him. So he has a heart for this. So he says that they, may, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, they don't really know. He says, for being ignorant of God's righteousness. Can we say God's righteousness? And seeking to establish their own righteousness. Can we say their own righteousness? Okay. Have not submitted to the righteousness of God. How's this verse? For if Christ, for Christ is the end of the law. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So what's happening here is we are actually talking about two types of righteousness. And Paul says the Jews that were struggling back then, I'm not talking Jews by race, I'm talking Judaism. They were struggling back then to leave the law and come to Christ, not understanding that Christ is the end of the law. He fulfilled the law. You wake up every morning, even when you make mistakes, as if you fulfilled it completely because he puts his life upon you. And so they were struggling with us, and he says Christ is the end of the law, and we're actually dealing with two types of righteousness. The righteousness of God. Can I say, when people say, we need to get more righteousness in the church. I understand what they mean. The holiness of God. I understand it. But what they're doing is the exact opposite of empowering that issue. Because you can't get more righteous than the righteousness of God. Good luck. We're dealing with two types of righteousness. The righteousness of God and the righteousness or the self-righteousness of man. That's why you have two trees in the garden, the tree of life, the right standing, the righteousness with God, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, self-righteousness. I'll go forward. It's about the two types of righteousness. That's what Paul's dealing with. Whose righteousness do you want and which one actually empowers you? Because self-righteousness is, I can do it, I must do it. That sounds good. 
And as soon as you say, don't rely on your self-righteousness, rely on God's righteousness, people say, are you telling me I must sin more because I'm righteous? I'm saying, I never said you must sin more. Paul was accused of telling people to sin more. Why? Because the Jewish people who were coming out from the law, their whole life had been dictated by fear of the law. If you do this, this. If you do that, I will curse you. If you do this, this. If you do that, this. Now they're being told, the law is fulfilled. But their heart hadn't changed. So they were coming out from the law going, I can do whatever I want. Sweet. And just, I'm righteous. And off they run, crazy, doing crazy things. And people came and said, hey, you are telling these Jews to now become sinners. Paul said, no, I'm not. It's exposing a condition in their heart. And the law had no power to change that condition for thousands of years. So what Galatians 5 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. What does that mean? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty and the freedom by which. Stand in the freedom that made you saved. What is that? By grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. You were not saved by works through, through yourself, but by grace through faith. So it's saying the grace of God, the unmerited favor, the, the, the life that Jesus lived on your behalf placed upon you, and that's how God sees you, that not only saves you, it empowers you. And he says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Hang on. He just called the law bondage. I'm purposely trying to be a little offensive today to shake some of you. He called the Old 2 Corinthians 3 calls the Old Testament a ministry of death. That's what it says. And a ministry of condemnation. Because it could only point to the issue. It couldn't deal with it. Yeah, he calls it bondage. He says, do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised. Now, I've preached this and people say, oh, I circumcised my son. It's not talking about that. It's talking about if you circumcise your son according to the law in order to be righteous with God. If you put yourself under that old covenant. That's what it's saying. If you do this, Christ will profit you nothing. Powerful words. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Because the Bible says, if you, if you think one law will save you, you must then keep the whole thing. And no person ever could. There's 613 Jewish laws. No person ever could. Except for Jesus. You have become, how's this, estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. That statement, oh, they've fallen from grace. In the church, modern church world, you know what it means? They did something bad. They fell from grace. Oh, did you hear what they did? Oh. The Bible means it as they've gone off of the foundation that Jesus laid by his life, his death, his resurrection, and the free gift of righteousness. You've moved off of that, and now you've moved back onto the foundation of self-righteousness, saying, I can take it from here. You've fallen from grace, and there's no power here.
There's a legalistic righteousness. There's a look at my mask. Yes, but there's no inward power and there's no demonstration power. None. So, we're going to talk about grace versus law. But I don't want you for a moment to think the law is evil. The law is holy and righteous. But Christ lived up to it on your behalf. So when people talk about grace versus law, and I've been, I've been guilty of this myself, it's like a partial revelation, and it's good because it's still revelation. They talk about it as behavior. Grace means I can do this. Law means I can That's not the real issue. The real issue is not behavior. It's this. Is Jesus Christ enough? That's the issue. Is Jesus enough? Is he enough for when I stand before God? Once I'm saved, no matter what I've done, is he going to be enough? Is Jesus enough for what I'm facing? Is Jesus, is grace enabling, will, will it be able to empower me to face not only God one day, but what I face today? Is Jesus enough? And we instantly say, if you're raised in the church, of course Jesus is enough. But your life may not show that. Not by the bad things you do, by the things that you do to try to earn what he's already given you. You're saying he's not. It's not about behavior. It's about the gift of righteousness for self-righteousness. I'll throw out another statement. And this is uh, kind of a cheap way. And I'm not trying to be irreverent because I don't want to speak about God as if he's us. But the, God's attitude to you doesn't change when your attitude changes towards him. God's behavior, not that God has behavior, you understand? God's behavior to you doesn't change when your behavior changes towards him. Settle that in your heart and you'll see a power come alive inside of you that you've never known before. So when I say the law, yes, I'm talking about the Old Testament Mosaic law. I'm also talking about any relationship that is based on a set of rules and legalistic limits in order to obtain intimacy. That's law. The law was never meant to save us. I think it was Gary Hamrick who said it's a thermometer to show us that we have a fever, to show us that we are sick, but the thermometer can't save you. I say it this way, the law is like a flashlight taken into an attic. Grace is actually a flashlight you take into an attic. We don't say, look at all the dust the flashlight created. We don't say that. Because when you tell people you're free, you can be free. And sometimes they run around doing whatever they want. We say, oh, your message of grace, that was already in their heart. The, grace, the truth of grace exposed it, and now it can begin to come out. It removed the mask. Now they're just doing what was already there. We also don't use the flashlight as the tool to remove the dust. It just shows. Bing. Hello? Grace versus law in Galatians. I don't know if you guys were able to get that chart. You were. Wonderful. This is literally straight out of the book of Galatians. I'm just going to read it, and I'd, then I'd love to go and actually read the book of Galatians. But if you look at grace versus law, or you could put up there, if you look at Jesus' life on my behalf versus me trying to, 
is this, is based on faith. The grace is based on faith, the law is based on works. Grace justifies sinful men. The law is incapable of resulting in justification ever. Grace begins and ends with Jesus Christ. The law makes Christ nothing, as we read. Grace is the way of the spirit. The law is the way of the flesh. Grace is a blessing. Law is a curse. Grace is God. Every single one of these are scripture, scriptures, in just in this one book of Galatians. Never mind Romans, Colossians, Ephesians. Grace is God's desired end for all of his people. Law was intended only to be a means to an end. Grace results in intimacy. The law results in estrangement from Christ. We read it. Grace makes us a son of God and an heir of Christ. The law keeps us a slave. That was our old slave master, sin. Grace results in liberty. The law results in bondage. Do not return again to a yoke of bondage. Grace depends on the power of the Holy Spirit. Law depends on human effort. Grace is motivated by love. Law is motivated by pride and fear. Grace centers on the cross of Jesus Christ. Law centers on circumcision. In other words, the strength of our own flesh to remove man's condition. Now, the law was designed for the lost. Grace is designed for the saved. That's why Jonathan Edwards can stand up and preach this incredible message, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Because he stood up in the public square, law was designed for the lost. Because they refused to follow the, the light of their conscience. They refused to follow the, the evidence of nature. They refused to follow the moral truth that God has put in every person. And so the law is given to the lost to stand up and reveal to them, you are guilty. Without Jesus, you're guilty. Have you ever lied? Yes. Then you're guilty of breaking every law. The law is designed to convict the lost. That is its design. 1 Timothy says, the law is not for the righteous, but for the ungodly. Says it, 1 Timothy 1 verse 8 and 9. The law is not for the righteous, but for the ungodly. But when you're saved, now you need grace. And let me say this, and I've spoken to some people who were Muslim and got saved, and other religions and got saved. Any person who comes out of a type of law, they need grace. They don't need law. They've lived under law all their life. They need grace straight away. Not so, Sarah. And I've chatted. She shared her testimony here. So people always say, oh, the grace of God teaches us to, notice, to take notice in. Great, let's go read that. Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, that's Jesus, that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Please remember that, in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of, our glory, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the way, one of the divinity points of the New Testament, of our great, great God and Savior, Jesus, God, Jesus, God, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us 
from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, not forced, not for fear's sake. Obedience is always the way forward, but why do you obey? Out of love or fear? Eager. My heart's been changed. I don't do that because I know it's bad. I don't do that because I'm no longer interested in it. Heart's been changed. Grace will empower that. The Bible says grace teaches you. It's a school. It's not a moment. Please understand that. It's a school. I go to school for 12 years. We're in a grade 1 to grade 12 to learn some things. Just to learn the basics of now how do I go and live in the world? How do I math and whatever? You know? And we all say, we're not going to need that. You're going to need it. Just do it. Right? It teaches you. It's a school. It's a process. It's not a moment. So then there's a person who has gone through that gate of grace, has walked with the Lord, has learned some stuff, and they are just about the holiness of God. They love God. They they enwrapped by God. He has their heart dead of devotions. They've given their will to Him, which is all of us should do. And there's a process of that. My, I have no will of my own. I have no rights of my own. I have no thought. My that's Jesus. And then this guy comes and says, "I can do whatever I want because of grace." And this person says, "No, no, no! Don't you understand the holiness of God? Don't you? And, and uh, you must be better." But they've just started in grade one. <coughs> we have to let the Holy Spirit instruct the heart. It will teach you. Huh. How bad. More than 120 times in Paul's epistles, he uses the word grace. More than all the rest of the New Testament writers combined. More than all of them. So can we, let's actually go read the the Bible. We good? Paul an apostle. Galatians 1.1. Paul an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to read through verse 17. Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. The grace of God teaches us to say no to worldliness and godliness in this present age. We're going to come back to that. Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel, imagine, they're sitting there, Judaizers. Is Paul saying, I can't believe you're so stupid that you fell for this junk. I marvel, I'm amazed, I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you. They're sitting there. There are some who trouble you and want to pervert The gospel of Christ. Now before we read further, let me just take a quick note. The King James says it this way. I think I actually have it. Do I have it? Yes. I marvel that ye, 
I love this, the old King James. Ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. He uses the word another twice. But there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. First note, you're not turning away from a doctrine. You're not turning away from a faith. He says, I marvel that you're turning away from him. From a person. It's not from a statement of faith. It's not from a list of regulations. From him. You're turning away from him to another which is not another. You know in the Greek, those two words, another and another, are two different Greek words. And the one means another of the same sort. The other one means another but not of the same quality. They're two different words. Heteros and alos. And what Paul's saying, he says, you've turned aside to something that is being peddled as the same, and it's not the same. It's not the same. It has not the same power. It has not the same life to transform. It has not the same authority. It's not the same. But they're telling you it's the same, and it's not. So he gets pretty strong. He says, but even if we or an angel... Hello, that's happened. Do I have to, Utah, Mormonism? I'm just being blunt. If an angel from heaven, not even a demon, an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Wow, condemned. As we have said before, so now we say again, it's like if you didn't get it the first time. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what we have received, than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men? The NIV says, do I seek the approval of man? Why does he say that? We'll get into that. Do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still, meaning before he did, which we'll explain, for if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. It came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard, of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, and I advanced. That word advanced, uh, the, the King James says, and I profited in the Jews' religion. This one says, I advanced in Judaism. You know what that word advanced means in the Greek? It means to compete, to, to run, to race, to, uh, what is the word, to go forward before the other. He's literally saying, I was competing in a spiritual, I was competing in religious competition, and I was winning. He says, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, and I advanced, I was winning in Judaism, beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, in other words, the other Jewish people, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, 
I did not immediately confer with flesh or blood, nor did I, in other words, with other people, nor did I go up to Jerusalem with those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. There's so much in there. Man, even as I read it, I'm trying to not stop and just go through it. This book, as you know, is just as I said last week, is so precious to me. It set me free more than anything else. Because I went from being unsaved and being good at being unsaved to being saved to being in a religious competition. Who's a leader, who's not, who's... I lived this and it almost killed me. And I see it rife all through the body of Christ. But with good hearts. With good hearts. First thing he says, let's go back. Paul, an apostle. Not from men, nor through man. Go to verse 10. He says, I make known to you that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it nor was I taught it. In other words, not from men, nor through man. For Paul to say, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men. We read it like, okay, yeah, 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 he's greeting the people. This was his first epistle. He wrote this. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men. It became his greeting, but here he clarifies. It has nothing to do with men, and it didn't come from men. And then it became his greeting. Why? Why is this such a major thing for him to write? Because he said, the gospel which I preached is not from man, nor through man. Then he starts to go into his former conduct in Judaism, as we just read. But then what does he say? He says somewhere, you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God. But then he says, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. You know the traditions. Can I explain something quick? You guys with me? The traditions of my fathers, also known as the tradition of the elders in the New Testament. Jesus spoke about this in Mark chapter 7. He said, you have left the commands of God and you are, you've, they've added all these things to the law. Things which weren't in the law. The washing of cups and pitchers and all these different things that they added to the law to make them appear separate from others, better than others, beyond others, and actually to make the law being able to accomplish it. The point, they missed the whole point. The law was to make you fall to your knees to say you need Jesus Christ. Now they changed all of this and Jesus is saying you adding, actually I'm going to read it to you. Oh boy. It says here, Jesus said, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. All too well. You reject the commandment of God that you may keep your traditions. So Paul's saying, I was zealous. People say Paul was zealous after the law. That's not what it says. And that's not what it means. He says, I was so zealous. Not after just Old Testament law. No, I was zealous after the traditions of the elders. After the things that would give me the ability to look better, be better, appear better than all the other people. And I was advancing in it. I was profiting from it. I was going further in it. I was better at it than everybody else. So for Paul to say, no, I'm not in Galatians. I look down, it's the wrong book. For Paul to say this, we have to understand, Paul, an apostle, not from men. 
nor through man. For Paul to say, do I, verse 10, do I now seek the approval of men? Do I now, am I living? Is my purpose an apostle? Is it now to seek the approval of men? No. His whole life was built on advancing his social circle in the name of God. His whole life. And it's a culture that keeps creeping back into the church today. I wrote, we can either fall prey to this old tactic or we can get on with the Great Commission. We cannot do both. Everything he did was to advance himself. My purpose, my whole identity was wrapped up in this so much. Think about this. He was a Pharisee. Acts 22 tells you he was a Pharisee. His father was a Pharisee. He grew up in the church, so to speak. Everything he did was to advance himself in this religious competition, this idealistic, legalistic mask. Look what a good Christian I am. That he killed people. Women and men separated families, destroyed people, killed people in the name of God because he had letters from the high priest which is against the law of Moses. And he was a Pharisee. <laughs> he killed people because the enemy will always try to come and take something that God will show or reveal like the law. He will always try to come and take something and then twist it, pervert it, and make you use it to advance yourself and you forget the point of why it was there. Always. Look at this great gift I have of healing or this great gift of word of knowledge. Oh, I'm a man of God. Look at me go. We missed the point. And it's so destructive. <laughs> it removes the love of God from your heart. It removes the power of transformation of the Spirit in your life. It removes His voice from your ear. It just goes, God. It really does. Friends, Paul, this is all from Paul, an apostle. So we may be in Galatians for a while. Paul, an apostle. Who God has made you and why God has made you does not come from men. Just like Paul. Your purpose, man can't give it to you. Realize that. Know that. They can't. They can help you. There are people in this audience who have helped me greatly, but they can't give it to you. So don't seek it from them and don't look to them for it or for identity in it. They can't give it to you. The danger of self-righteousness is that it removes power from the church and the empowering of a believer. You see, these Judaizers came in and they set themselves up as the authority. Think about this. Why? Well, these Gentile believers, these just little petty Greeks, they didn't know anything. Let us Jews show you how. So they come in and they set themselves up as the authority because it couldn't be the Sanhedrin anymore. That was the Jewish temple because they believed in Jesus, the Judaizers. So they set themselves up as, you know, we're, we're no better than you. Listen to us. We'll tell you how to do it. Why does Paul come against us so strongly? Because it's the same thing all over again. He's saying, I lived my life 
for this religious competition, the tradition of the elders. And we miss Jesus. We missed him. We couldn't even see him. And now he sees the starting and he goes, no, it's the same tactic of the enemy again. And he has to go, no, the gospel will set you free. Jesus is enough. And as soon as that happens, now you have a group of people in the church who know more than everybody else. Hello, think about today. Who are more spiritual than everybody else. Who are better than anybody else. And Jesus is no longer enough for the common man. No. Jesus belongs to the whole world. To every man. To every woman. To every child. Jesus is for everyone. And he is enough. You don't need anything else. Jesus is enough. And Paul sees that being destroyed and contorted and twisted. You must, you must. He says, no, we've just stopped this. We've just got out of this. And you're starting it all up again. Even Peter, you'll see in chapter 2 and 3, Peter started going a little bit into this distraction, into this, this horrible witchcraft attack. And when people started coming from Jerusalem, other important Jews, he said, oh, uh, okay, I'm going to go eat now with the Jews. I'm not going to sit with the Gentiles anymore. Peter. And Paul says here in Galatians, he stood up publicly and opposed him to his face. He says, what you are doing is wrong, sir. To defend the gospel, not to embarrass Peter. But because of Peter's influence, he said, I will confront this. And I will. it's a demonic strategy from the devil. There is an entire church culture throughout the world predicated on this one issue. I've always said performance after initial belief for salvation, performance after initial belief will lead to performance instead of belief. Just believe. That's enough. Just believe. Just believe. I believe in God for miracles. I believe that Jesus was enough for that. Not what I've done, not how much I've prayed, not how much. Jesus is enough. Just believe. <laughs> to him who believes, all things are possible. He says it in Galatians 3, we read it. Do you, he who works miracles among you, is it through the work of the flesh or the hearing of faith? Just believe. Just believe. He's enough. And it's not just talking about, he says, to rescue you, God the Father, through the will of God, he sent Jesus his son to rescue you from this evil, from this present evil age. There are groups in the church that are so afraid of the supernatural, even though the whole gospel is supernatural. They say that verse in Galatians 1.4, to rescue you, to deliver you from this present evil age, is talking about one day when Jesus comes back, we'll be rescued from this. It, that is true, but it's not talking about that. That's not the context. The context is Jesus has set you, set you free to live on the earth, but be free from this evil age that's around you. It no longer has an impact on you. 
That's what Titus says, the grace of God will teach you to live free in this age. It's not just a fire escape. In this age, to live free. Free from what? Free to do whatever? No, free from what I was rescued from. Free from the dem demonic attack. Free from sin as a slave master. Free from fear of death. If Christians didn't fear death, there would be power in the church again. Hello. If Christians didn't fear losing everything they have, there would be power. He sets you free to live here free. So do not be entangled again by this subtle witchcraft attack. You need to do more, be better. You wake up every morning as if you've fulfilled the law yourself because Jesus' life is placed on you as if you lived it. That's called grace. Now you can take that and go and use it to go and back. And if I take someone from prison, I say you're free. They're free to make their own choices, right? So when a person gets rescued by the grace of God, they say, oh, I can go do what they want. Uh, you've been freed from sin as a slave master. Hello, Romans 6. You've been freed from sin that whips you as a slave master and turns your heart and gives you all these horrible desires. You've been freed from that. So free that I can go and do it again. Like, what are you doing? It's like, I've had a prison break. I've escaped. You're now free from prison. I'm free. I'm so free I can make my own decision to go right back in. That's what they do. But you know what? It's a process. It's a school. They'll do that three or four times, and then they'll turn around and face the other way from the chain link fence. Be like, actually, that's not so nice. I'm free, but when I go, I don't feel free in there. Let me live unto him. Let me live for him. Let me love him. Let me worship him. I think that's enough for today. Friends, this book, I tell you, there's a freedom in Christ. That's why Paul comes so heavy. Don't let the enemy subject you that Jesus needs any help. He's enough. He's enough for what you face now. He's enough for this, what's going on in this nation. He's enough. But look to him and learn from him. Amen? Can we stand? <clears throat> I'm just going to hand over to Josh. I encourage you to go read it. I know this is a teaching, but there's application on here. You will know that grace has grabbed a hold of your heart when it changes the way you pray and the way you approach the Lord. You know, the whole book of grace, John Newton said it in one line. We sang it this morning, Amazing Grace. Tis grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fear, relieved. Anyway, bless you. <clears throat> Hello. Amen to that. <laughs> Visitors, thank you for being here. Um, and if you were visiting for the first time, please grab a uh, gift bag on the way out. It has information about us and like a little connect card that you can fill out so that we can connect with you. We will have a... Uh, trained ministry team over here ready to pray for anybody otherwise have a great day with your family and we'll see you next week good morning free life church we're glad you're here if you are visiting in person please stop by the connection corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag and learn more about free life church 
a member from our connection team will be there to answer any questions you have. We look forward to meeting you. Baptisms are coming up. If you would like to be baptized in water, please sign up for our next baptisms happening on June 6th at 2 p.m. after church at the home of Kevin and Katie Poole here in Leesburg. Our next encounter night is coming up. Save the date, June 12th at 6.30 p.m. We want to honor our FLC seniors graduating this year and we need your help. If you have a graduate in your family, please register them on our events page. We want to honor them and pray for them on June 13th. Men, come join us at Freedom Center for a work party on June 26th, starting at 8 a.m. We will have a workday to support the local ministry at Freedom Center in North Leesburg. The work focus will primarily be on general grounds maintenance. Specialty skills are not required to participate and help. Freedom Center will provide water, snacks, lunch, and whatever equipment we need. Don't forget to check the newsletter for community employment opportunities that we have received from IFA this week. Here at Free Life, we do believe in kingdom giving. There are three ways to give your tithes and offerings. We have a box located in the hallway outside the sanctuary, or you may give by text or through our website. There are also other amazing funds to which you can contribute, like the VBS fund or alms for those in need. These are options you can choose when you donate. Thank you for your generosity. God is doing amazing things all around us. We continue to receive multiple testimonies each week and would love to see them keep coming. Email us what God is doing in your life at testimonies at freelifechurchva.com. These testimonies will be going up on the website so we can share in one another's victories and build our faith even more. Remember, for more information about all of our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for tuning in.